the reason for a land acknowledgement prior to my podcast is to acknowledge my presence on the traditional lands of our First Nations peoples. It was a practice by First Nations people when traveling through other nations' territories as a sign of respect. Land acknowledgement. I acknowledge that the city of Hamilton, where I record this podcast, is situated upon the traditional territories of the Erie, Neutral, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas. Hamilton is also directly adjacent to the Haldeman Treaty Territory. It is home to many Indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island, and this land acknowledgement is a small gesture to recognize the rich history of this land and so that I can better understand my role as a settler as well as a neighbor, partner, and caretaker. I stand in solidarity with the murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, transgender, and two-spirited people, and all those that fight for justice on their behalf. Miigwech. Thank you. Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here for Season 3. I was introduced to Michelle through my brother Lyle. They are engineering colleagues, having worked together in Jemina Chad. In a male-dominated industry, it continues to be a challenge being a woman and a mother. This episode falls on Mother's Day 2021. I dedicate it to all of the women who work so hard to be recognized for the work they do for their families and in their careers. Thank you for listening. This is episode 30. It's a real thrill to speak to you, Michelle. Thank you so much, Linda. I've taken a few of the things that you've accomplished and put them into this intro, so feel free to correct me if I've missed anything. Michelle Boyt. You are a sister, daughter, mother, and niece. You're from Kenyan running royalty, (laughs) but that's not why you're here. After graduating from the University of Texas at Dallas, where you studied chemical engineering, you pursued a career in the oil and gas sector. You are a woman in a male-dominated industry, and this would not be easy. You had to push yourself forward to find opportunities to shine. You were hired by BP, British Petroleum, and you were sent to Wyoming, where no one wanted to go. While you were there, you started an initiative, unprompted, called Leave No Well Behind. Of the 500 wells that were basically abandoned, you discovered that about 200 of them were still viable and actually quite productive. You were recognized by the CEO and received an award, and your initiative got rolled out across the company. You were then awarded with a position in New Mexico where the wells were high producing, but you were soon bored. When oil was discovered in Kenya, you made the leap to Tulo Oil and you continued to seek opportunities to shine and were often frustrated by being kept in the background. But you were not content to sit back. Now, because of the price of oil plummeting and the COVID lockdowns, you have found yourself back in Kenya. You've started your foundation to mentor high school students to focus both on academics and social behaviors. And now you help train young people in college to prepare for graduation and the work world. We have lots to talk about. Welcome to the arena, Michelle. Thank you so much, Linda. That is quite an impressive introduction. You (laughs) kind of took me back from where I started. And actually, uh, I'm quite impressed with what I've done. You should be, most definitely. 
there must have been a family around you who influenced your choices in life. What was dinner conversation like in your household when you were growing up? Yes. So growing up, I grew up in a small village in Eldoret. It's called Tulwet. And for us, uh, when we're out in the village, we really didn't have a dinner table. So we'll just have an area where we eat. So we come, we sit down and eat. Most of the time, mom was more present than father because in the society, now the culture, it's the father who goes and you know, look for the daily bread and the mother is to take care of the children. But my parents, they studied in US also in Texas. Mm. So they had a mixed culture. So however much my dad will go and work, my mom also started to work. And they worked at this public university called Moy University. So our conversations for me and my mother was totally different with me and my father and our siblings. So mom was the disciplinarian. Mom was following up with academics and our performance. She was the one who was strict. She was the one who was always correcting us. So when we're having dinner, it's all about uh, how was school? How did you perform when we had exams? Oh, you need to do better. And mom was really tough. Mom was really tough. <laughs> and she was very strict. You cannot even laugh or make silly jokes on the table when mom is present. Dad, on the other hand, I had a unique relation with him because he was a scientist. So everything that interested me, it mm. all came from my father. Mm. So we will talk about science. We'll talk about math. He will help me out with my math homework and he'll help me out with my science. So we were the only ones in the family who had that. So my relation with him was very close because whatever I had interest in, it triggered him and he would know exactly how to guide me and he would know exactly how to give me advice and also help me out on the things that I'm definitely struggling in. So that's how our parents were. And how important do you think those conversations with your dad about science and math, how that influenced you and the choices that you made as you began to look towards your career? I will definitely sit down sometimes. My, my dad passed on 2008. May he continue to rest in peace. Mm. But even at my current age, I would sit down and those advice still echoed in my head. I remember I wanted to do chemical engineering, but in Kenya and most of the African countries, we have these national exams we do after high school. And because of that particular exam, whatever you score, that's how it's going to determine your career. Unfortunately for me, I've always been performing well in sciences. And then the humanities, I was all right. But for this particular exam, it flipped. The system actually needs to change because basically, according to that result, that's how they choose your career. Mm. So I was called for agriculture, which I didn't have any passion about. Okay, I was raised in the farm, but I didn't have any passion. My passion was in science. That's when I talked to my parents and I told them, let's not waste money. Let's not waste time. Uh, let's try and figure out other options. And that's when my father came up with an option of, you can go stay with your uncle 
in Texas. And you can do this early career uh, entry exam. And if you do well, go ahead. You can still pursue your chemical engineering. And my second option was doing accounting. So my parents discussed and they said, if chemical engineering is not going to work, then we can come to accounting. So I packed up my bags. I went to Texas. I did my entry exam, passed very well. In fact, even I think I, I gave it my all because I wanted to make up for what happened to me in high school. And yes, and pursued chemical engineering. I graduated uh, Texas Tech University in 2008 with uh, honors. A first Very example true. of your determination to follow your own path. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it was. You plan something, you know exactly how your path is supposed to go, how your career is supposed to go, and then the reality just throws you a big ball. You are a teenager, you have to make the right decisions because at that particular point, if I didn't have the guidance of my parents, definitely I could have been heading in the wrong direction. Probably I could have been doing accounting and probably the most miserable accountant in the world. <laughs> <laughs> what has it been like for you as a woman engineer, first of all, still not a very common occurrence. It sounds to me as though you've constantly had to fight every inch for what you've achieved. That's true, Linda. When I joined BP, I would say I've been very fortunate where I had a really good mentor. I had a really good supervisor. I had a very good support system that helped me to build a very strong foundation. But however much I had the support system, I wanted to really work hard. I wanted my performance to speak for itself. So one thing is at the beginning, my background was in chemical engineering and I'm switching to petroleum and I am competing with petroleum engineers, graduates. Mm. They told me you can go ahead and join, but just know whenever we are ranking you, we're not going to rank you that you had this background. So you have to work extra hard because I wanted my performance to speak for itself. And mm. because I was based in the field, I was really hands-on. So I was not into presenting. I was more into making sure the execution of any work done in the field is done well and give the results to somebody else to present. And I felt very comfortable with that because I really needed to understand the technical uh, aspects of it. So with that, I did very well. Unfortunately, it did hurt me later on mm. because after getting the experience, you need the exposure. Mm -hmm. And I had to step out of my comfort zone of now being on the back end and being on the ground and being in the field to make sure the project is successful. I had to teach myself how to communicate in public and not to fear public speaking. And it was quite scary. I was letting my colleagues present my work and it hit me hard whenever they were getting more praises than me. And actually, I'm the one who was doing the work. So mm. I had to teach myself how to step out of my comfort zone. My supervisor gave me a platform to present in front of the team that we were working in. And actually, even my manager questioned me and said, Michelle, you never talk in meetings. What are you really working on? And I felt that, wow, actually, I do a lot. See, if I don't speak up, I'm not going to get the exposure for people to know. And at that particular point, I had goals of moving into other positions. And 
if I don't speak up, I definitely won't get that opportunity. On the other side also, Linda, was about the culture. How I am raised is you don't speak about what you've done, your achievement, your performance. It's more like you're bragging. So I was fighting my culture, how I was raised, and fighting how I can really do well in my career. So I started in our small team in the field, and I started expanding slowly, finally getting the hang of it. And we started now presenting in other groups that became bigger, even in our headquarters. And that's the exposure that I got. And uh, they finally got to see my work. Mm-hmm. And of course, I will make mistakes here and there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was learning from it. And I got better and better with time. So with that combination, I was very lucky, actually, Linda, compared to other engineers, because I had the perfect combination. The combination of working in the field and then moving into the headquarters and understanding the business. So mm-hmm. I had the technical skills and then the business skills. So I was able to now perfect myself and checking on projects that are having gaps. And that's when, yeah, when I was moved to Wyoming, I figured out very quickly there are some gaps that we had in the field. And mm-hmm. I took the initiative, worked extra hard because I still had my daily responsibility. So I worked extra hard and I definitely also made relations within my colleagues because mm-hmm. Even then, they had to do extra work to make sure that we understand for that particular project what's going on with this 500 well. So they had to work extra. But because of the relationship that I built with them, none of them turned down my request. My relationship has built all the way from the top, all the way to the person who works in the field. And that's what has been helping me a lot. Mm-hmm. I continue to build relationships and I continue to learn from my mistakes or learn just from others. What event in your life has had the most profound impact on you? For me, I would say is to see my kids explain to their friends what mom does. Hmm. Because not many people understand petroleum engineering. And I, however much I was explained to my children, I didn't even think they understand what I do. Because, you know, mommy travels a lot. <laughs> mommy is an engineer, a petroleum engineer. But it captured me that actually these kids understand what I'm doing. Mm. And with that, it made it more easier for me to even concentrate more work because they know exactly why I'm away from home and how is it going to impact in their lives. As a mother, sometimes caught up, on determining, are you raising your children? Are you raising your family? Are you giving them the best time? Or are you too much into your career? So whenever you see your children actually explain to their friends and how proud they are, Mm -hmm. it makes you feel that actually you're doing the right thing. And speaking to them and explaining to them actually doesn't go in vain, even however young they are. Mm. It helps them to understand what you do and it helps them even to support you. So I would say that was definitely one of my, my highlights in my personal life. Just know that my children, they actually understand, they're actually supporting me. And then when it comes to personal inner satisfaction to see the youth to, to succeed, a passion of giving back, 
I was wondering how am I going to give back? For me, giving back was to give back to mentoring because when I was doing my career, and even when I was in college, I had mentors. And I'm forever indebted in my mentors because they guided me. They guided me the right way. But you see, in the U.S., they give you mentors. They assign you mentors whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. But now in Africa, that's not a thing that they're used to. I found that gap. I started, I enjoyed it. And we started growing very exponentially to a point now I feel that I need to use technology or something so I can reach out to more because the youth actually, they're in a tough space and they need guidance. Let's take a brief moment for our sponsor. Are you ready to write the next chapter? Are you ready to be the hero in your own story? I've been there. And as a professional coach, I'm here to help. Go to the podcast website, click on the link and step into the arena. And when did you start your foundation? It's been around for some time. Tell me more about how that started. I started my foundation when I moved back to Kenya in 2014. But that one, I was just visiting schools. I started with my own high school. I visited the school and I wanted just to go back to them and encourage them. Because I remember when I was in high school, there was, uh, there was a gentleman that was invited, a motivational speaker, and his words were still echoing in me. He said, mm-hmm. work hard, never give up, work hard, never give up. So I felt that if I go back and I tell them that actually I graduated here and I'm an engineer, maybe it will inspire one or two. Uh, the headmistress gave me the opportunity to, to talk to the students. And it became almost a routine. Each and every time we had a function, they invited me. And it started expanding by other parents attending the function. They would call me and say, I have a child somewhere else. Will you please come speak to them? So it just started to spread mm. out to a point where one of the students challenged me and said, why can't you register? So I can have a platform that actually I can reach out to more. So I registered in 2017 and I've been able to expand and we have reached out, I would say, to more than 30,000 students. That's a mm. combination of high school students, college students, and young professionals. We have impacted, we have seen even schools performing very well because of the encouragement that we have been giving them. We have been working with the local leaders. I've been working with youth ministries. I have my own team that I work with. We've been getting a lot of support from friends, family, local leaders, and we are reaching out to more and more students. Mm -hmm. And it's a passion that I have. And we've got to a point where we found out there's some gaps. Like for example, in high school students, we pay school fees here in Kenya. So we find out that they're very bright students that they want to continue with education. Unfortunately, they don't have money or Mm -hmm. the family does not have money for them to continue with school. So right now we are sponsoring three students. My goal was to increase that. And also another gap that we found out was graduates from college. After the inspiration, they do very well. And then unfortunately, they can't find a job. And it's been really hard. It takes about two years for somebody in Kenya to find a job, which is very frustrating for a young graduate because they've worked really hard. It's frustrating for the parents also. Mm -hmm. Because they have worked really hard to make sure that 
their child have gone to school. So what we started was uh, networking opportunities for the young graduates, where if we know like there's an engineering body, I have a networking dinner, we pay for them and we tell them you have to go and network yourself, get some contacts, because there were just so many, Linda, there were so many, we could not find jobs for them. And apart from the networking, we also started network with other companies and say if they could secure at least two positions for us so that we'll be able to recommend some of the young graduates. So there's still challenges, there's still opportunities, but definitely there is a big gap that needs to be filled. It sounds like you're having a big impact. Yes, it's a, it's an highlight when when one of the youth just comes back to you and say, thank you so much. You did this to me. And I remember one uh, wrote me a, a message and just say, I used to be shy to reach out to people. Even when I saw you, I was scared even to reach out to you, but uh, you provided an environment that was conducive for me to talk to you. Uh, you taught me a lot because I remember I even reviewed her CV and she was able also to reach out to other companies where she got an internship. So she was thankful for me guiding her. So when you start seeing such messages and it just encourages you to do more and more, you keep on asking yourself how many youth out there. You were telling me it's 70% of the population is under the age of... Yes, 35, yes. So wow. uh, yes, we have 70% of population in Kenya. And it gets worse in Uganda, it gets worse in the other neighboring countries. We need to definitely empower the youth because if we don't empower them and get opportunities for them and train them, we might put the country in a very tough position. I've been encouraging the leaders to see that the mentorship is still not something that most of the African countries see it as important. Some of them even question what is it all about but they need to start understanding once you're successful, you need to pull up some of the youth. So we're seeing some of the few successful leaders trying their best, but we still have a long way to go. What does living a courageous life mean to you? It means you have to do something that it's beyond your dreams and goals. You have to step out of the box. You have to believe in yourself. And dream bigger than what you've ever imagined. Taking the step of what you think is right. And especially when everybody else around you does not want to do it. It means that you are differentiating yourself with others. And you're taking up something that everybody else does not want to do. Mm. So for me, it has been both personal life and professionally. Personal life, I, I remember my recent project was to build my mom a house. I remember I told myself in 2015, I said, I would like to build my mom a house. I started the project in 2018 and I was able to build her this nice modern house that for our family generation generation to come, they'll be able to, in our family generation, they'll be able to live in. They will be able 
to attach themselves to somewhere where you can say, this is home, where there will be so much memories. That project, Linda, was so big for me at that time. And because I wrote it down and I believed in it and I prayed about it, I was able to start. And for you to be courageous to do that, you have to also be intentional of what you set yourself for. So I had to cut back in some of the things, my spending, started increasing my savings, started to learn building and all that is required. And yes, we did it. I finally handed over my mom the house in August 1st last year. Even with all the ups and downs, that was one of my biggest uh, personal projects. When it comes to professional, I remember I was handed over a project here in Talon, in Kenya, to deliver fast oil production in Kenya. The design was done in London, and most of the people who designed it had not traveled to the field to quite understand the logistics of it. So by the time they approved it and gave me the drawings, it actually looked like it's going to be a project that will fail even before you start because it's, it, it, it was quite overwhelming. So I took my courage and I decided to take a moment with myself and just start the project, put a team together, and we were able to deliver. I started 2017. We were able to deliver in 2018. Sometimes when something looks big, actually living courageous means taking the step and execute. And now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that was not too bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then it encourages you to now take another one because if you are able to complete that and it was a success, we are actually built with so much resistance in our body, our mental. All you have to do is just to tell it, you can do it encourage yourself and then definitely surround yourself with some support system that uh, helped me out because you know you needed a lot of traveling away from your family so I had a really good support system not only at home but also at work where Mm. I would be able to hand over a, a certain task that they would deliver. Is there someone alive or dead that you would like to have the opportunity to have a conversation with one last time? Oh my, yeah, I would definitely like to meet Oprah Winfrey. Ah, yes. I used to watch, yes, I used to watch her shows all the time when I was young. She will encourage me on, on how to just make the best of the talent that you are given and her skills and grow. I've seen her show grow. And mm-hmm. then the fact that also she's using her talents and her space to help other people. Mm-hmm. So she'll be the one I would like to just sit down with her. I just want her to encourage me because I really want to expand my foundation. It's just that, you know how the foundation is, it's, it's about giving. Mm-hmm. So it's get to a point where you feel constrained, but your heart wants to give more. But unfortunately, there are other things that are tied in, for example, physically, financially. Yeah, I would like to meet her and just to hear one-on-one, to sit down with her and to hear her journey and how I can learn from her. Any final thoughts 
you'd like to share before we wrap up? What I would like to encourage other people is that when you help somebody else to be successful, you will be more successful. It will not take anything away from you. In fact, even you will be more successful. So I will encourage people to reach out and find the gaps that they have experienced and figure out how they can close that gap. People should just reach out and give back into the community. And you don't have to wait until you're more successful. Giving back can be as small as even just a phone call and encourage somebody. Hmm. We never know how these small impacts will encourage someone. Thank you so much for doing this. No and I really problem. appreciate it. It's been such a privilege to get to know you. And I really love the work that you're doing to help the youth in, in Kenya. Being a role model and being the mentor to others is such a huge way of giving back to people. Oh, thank you so much, Linda. I will share a link to Michelle's foundation in the show notes, where you can see the incredible work she is doing in Kenya and neighboring countries. I hope you will consider supporting her foundation. It's at www.mboitfoundation.org. I referenced in my introduction that Michelle is from Kenyan running royalty. Her uncle is Kipchong Kino, two-time Olympic gold medalist, first in 1968 for the 1500 meters and in 1972 for the 3000 meter steeplechase. He was instrumental in helping Kenya become a powerhouse nation in both long and middle distance running. Clearly, Michelle is carrying on her family's practice of making a significant impact on her country and indeed the world. Thank you for listening. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast. And if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. I'd love it if you left a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll be putting out episodes every two weeks this season while I continue to work on my first novel and try and spend some time in my garden. It's a great lineup, and I'm excited to share the next episodes with you. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me via the podcast website, www.thearena-podcast.com. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena.